Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Liquid Church. Good to see you. Hey, welcome. Nutley, New Brunswick, Mountainside's going to be launching soon. Very excited about that if you're online or on the radio. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim, and we're thrilled you're here. We're doing the series Love Doctor, in which we've been talking about God's prescription for healthy relationships. And uh, today, we're going to look at the Bible's probably most famous passage on love. So would you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? It's on page 800. Now, if you're here today, you're going to probably be familiar with this because it's read at so many weddings. Uh, But if you don't read the Bible, haven't been to church in a while, you'll still probably recognize this. 1 Corinthians 13 is uh, considered like the love chapter of the New Testament in which the Apostle Paul gives this kind of stirring description. He says this, love is patient. In fact, I'll have you read the word in red. All right, right here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. How many of you have heard that read at a wedding before? You've heard that? Yeah, kind of familiar with it. Again, one of the most popular verses in the world. You'll see it on Hallmark cards and plaques and bumper stickers, you know, and for good reason, right? There's all sorts of ideas in here if you're in a romantic relationship that you can agree with. Love is, uh, love is patient, right? You don't want to be the, the wife who nags. No, 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 You know, love isn't proud. You don't want to be the, you know, the husband who's arrogant and full of himself, that sort of thing. Um, you may have heard of the husband who won the lottery, and he yelled at his wife, pack your bag, sweetheart. I won the lottery. And she said, oh, my gosh, you know, should I pack uh, my bags for the beach or should I pack them for the ocean? And to which he replied, I don't care. Just pack them and get out. You know, whoa, hey. It, the point is this, it's easy to, to fall in love, but staying in love is hard work. It actually is a real challenge. For our generation in particular, I've noticed a lot of couples put extreme focus on the big day. That is the wedding, right? Brides obsess about the dresses, the flowers, the venue. You know, the groom dresses about pretty much nothing. Uh, you know, maybe the tuck size. But what most couples don't give a lot of thought to is the day after the wedding. When they wake up and realize they married basically a sinner, right? Somebody with flaws, who is not always patient, who is not always kind or not always humble. Falling in love is easy, but staying in love is a challenge. Let's keep reading this. Here's what Paul says. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not, say it together, easily angered. You remember this? We talked about this in our second message called Fight Club, how controlling one's anger is critical to resolving conflict. We said to make love last, you must fight fair. There are rules. And every couple in a relationship, whether it's dating, engaged, and married, at some point you're going to experience conflict or get in a fight. Uh, Colleen and I told you about some of our embarrassing moments early on. I appreciate your email. Some of you shared your stories. Uh, There was one bride, three weeks after her wedding, calls you know, crying, you know, Pastor John and I had a first fight, you know, it's awful, you know, I don't know what to do. And, you know, typically we say, calm down, every marriage is going to have its first fight. It's not bad, it's natural. And she said, I know, I know, but what do I do with the body? You know, it's like this moment where you realize that, you know, given time and pressure, right, and stresses, the love of our life can morph into our mortal enemy. And then you butt heads or you grow bitter or personalities clash. And so we conclude, well, maybe I married the wrong person, right? That was the big idea of this series, that in some ways, the secret is we're all incompatible. 
Selfishness, self-centeredness, that what the Bible calls sin, always means you marry the wrong person. But it's what you do in the wake of that realization that's decisive. So Paul writes, love isn't easily angered, and it's set together. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, when successful couples have a disagreement, they agree never to get historical. They don't bring up the past. Not hysterical, historical. Some of you are really good at this, right? You've got a great memory, and like you get into a fight, and you bring out your file drawer, and you're like, oh, yeah. And you start going through and said, you know, April 15th, you said da 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 You know, back in 1997, I remember the time when you da 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 You get all historical. But Paul says, no, no, no. Christ-centered love keeps no record of wrongs. So the idea is, is that successful lovers, marriage masters, They don't get historical or hysterical. We have covered the basics of this passage so far. But it's really this next verse that I want to drill down on today. Because what Paul says next, I think, is often misunderstood. Look what he says. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And here it is. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And this is funny. Because I think when most people hear this verse at wedding, like, love always hopes and trusts, you know, they read it like it's this inspirational sentiment. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, love always hopes, you know? And then you look at the guy sitting next to you, and he's like, what? You know, you're like, oh, God. No, that, that's not my reality, you know? Like, this is some idealized sentiment of love that no one actually ever experiences. But here's the truth. What Paul is getting at here is actually much deeper and far more practical than you or I think. In fact, I want to show you today the key principle that Paul is communicating that can make a world of difference in your relationship tomorrow. No matter who you're with or how long you've been together, this is something that you're going to be able to apply this afternoon or Monday morning or in any relationship whenever you're confronted with an issue, which we all are at some point. So let me kind of illustrate it this way, okay? Every single person in a relationship enters that relationship with certain expectations. There are certain things we think that our partner or spouse should say or do. But then there's reality. (laughs) What he or she actually does or says or think, right? And this is where the conflict occurs. Because, you know, you said you'd be home by 5, but it's 5.30, and you're late again, and it's the third time this week, and, 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 and... Don't nudge your spouse, by the way. Just follow with this a minute. You said you'd return it to the store uh, yesterday, but it's still sitting by the door two weeks later. You, you, we just had a baby, and you said it was your turn to get up at 3.30 and, you know, wipe them, and here I am doing it again for the, you know, fifth time or anything. Or she said she was going to control her spending, but the reality is I just saw the checkbook, and you are over budget again. And how many times do I need to say this? Every single person in a relationship at some point experiences a gap between their expectations and the reality. You see the gap here? There's like something that happens and and our mind starts going on that. Now here's, follow me on this, because it could be big or small. It could be generic. It could be very, very specific. But it's usually our expectations are based on what we saw our parents do or maybe what they promised to us or we we think is the right thing. And then there's the reality of what our partner does. And, And notice the gap between the two you see this in the world all around us. I illustrated this to you um, the other week with online dating. There's what you expect, and then there's what you actually get. It's not just relationships, it's a lot of things. For instance, when women decide to cut their hair short, 
This is what they expect it to look like, but the reality of how it actually looks. Those of you with long, windblown hair, same thing, right? It's like it's not much better. You think it's all People magazine. Guys, don't laugh. This is how men think they'll look when they don't shave. But that's the reality of it. You ever see people like they bite their lip to look sexy? That's the reality of how you look. Those of you with pets, you ever sleep with your pet and you think it's going to be so snuggly and awesome? The reality is you get a paw to the face, right? Expectation reality. There's Gangnam and there's Kangnam, right? (laughs) There's what we hope for and what we settle for. But this is particularly true when it comes to romantic relationships. It doesn't matter, again, if you've been married for decades or you just started dating for a few days, in every relationship there's going to be this gap, right? I expected my wife to be more adventuresome, but she's mainly tired after chasing the kids all day. That's the reality. You know, I expected him to be the main breadwinner in our family, but the reality is he's been out of work for almost a year now. And it's disappointing to us. Because when we expect our beloved to act one way, but then he or she falls short, we have this choice. Now, this is it. Watch this. This is the big idea Paul's getting at. Every time you encounter a gap in your relationship between expectations and reality, you have a choice. It's a multiple choice, A or B. You have a choice to either A, assume the worst, or B, believe the best. You have a choice every single time to assume the worst about your partner or actually believe the best about their motives. That's what Paul is getting at here. Let me show you kind of how this works, okay? You chase this every single time. So for instance, here it comes, right? I was going to be home at 5 o'clock, but, you know, he showed up at 5.30, and you know what? Hmm. I knew it. He is never home on time. In fact, he doesn't even wear a watch. You know what? I bet he, you know, went out with his idiot friends after work, and you start doing the neck thing. Right? And just, just wait till he gets home, right? Because assume the worst. Now watch. Or B, you can believe the best, right? You know what? I expected him at 5. It's 5.30. But the reality is, I know this has been a tough week. I know he wants to be here, and he will get here as soon as he can, and that he loves me, and it's not a commentary on respect for us or the kids. But I'm actually going to believe the best. And this is the choice that every single one of us makes every single time that there's a gap between our expectations and the reality of our relationship. And here's my question for you. Where do you naturally go? What do you naturally choose, A or B? Stop. I'm not asking what your partner or spouse naturally chooses, all right? I'm asking what you choose. If you don't know, your spouse will tell you, okay? Is it A or B? Because the reality is, what do you do when you get her text? You assume the worst? Oh, she's probably talking to her sister again. Or he forgets to call, you know? Or... You get home and dinner's not ready. And you know what? It's a second time. What do you typically choose by default? A or B? Because what you choose, or rather what you train your heart to choose, will often determine whether your relationship will go the distance or get stuck on the side of the road. It's really a question of A or B. For Colleen and I, we faced this gap early in our dating relationship Um, You may not know this, a little insider information. I struggle with directions, driving directions in particular. I get lost a lot. Um, Anybody else directionally impaired? Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's like a medical condition. Okay. This is like serious stuff. Um, 
I was like, I was not in line when they were handing that chip out, you know? And um, when we first started dating, I was living in central Jersey, but Colleen was living in White Plains. So I would drive over the Tapan Z Bridge, go up to White Plains. It was like an hour 15. And again, it was very, very hard. Um, uh, it was Thanksgiving um, break. And so I was driving to her mom's house, get over to Tapan Z, but then I got a little bit disoriented, take the wrong exit. I end up in Brewster, New York, okay? And I end up kind of doing circles. This was before GPS and all that stuff. And I arrive an hour late to her mom's house to take her out for dinner, meet her mom, all that stuff. But the good news is it didn't matter because we were in love. You know, this was like, I I had flowers. They wilted. We had no air conditioning. She's like, that's okay. I'm just glad you're here, you know. And we go out to dinner and a movie and all that, come back to her house. We sit in front of the fire, you know, and talk. We're just talking because we're in love, you know, all this. And around 11 o'clock at night, I was like, I'm sorry, I got to get home because I was living with my parents. They were like, hey, if you could be home around midnight, that'd be great. So I say goodnight, and I get into my gray Ford Tempo, which was a very cool car at the time. Let me just tell you about this. And uh, and I hop on 95. It's a great date, man. I don't care, north-south. I just, it's dark. I just turn the radio on. I'm like, woo, this is awesome, you know? And I start driving. And about 50 minutes later, I see this sign that says, Massachusetts Turnpike. This way. I'm like, what? Like kind of, even I know this is not a win, right? This is not, this is negative. So I pull over and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going the wrong way. But now it's about 12 PM again, no cell phone. So, you know, you know, you do, you pull the U-turn, you start, then you really step on it. Cause like I make up lost time. I start going down 95. I drove like 60 miles in 40 minutes. Um, and I'm flying, but I'm also, it's late and I'm like, you know, getting, do- you know, I'm starting to doze and, you know, roll the window down, you know, and, and I, I just turn it all off. My head's bobbing and I go over the rumble strip. And I'm like, oh gosh. So I pull over in a gas station, call my parents, tell them what happened. And they're like, hey, don't drive when you're tired. They're like, just take a short nap, get refreshed. We'll wait up for you, you know, all that. And so I pull in a spot and I take a nap for about an hour. I set my little, you know, watch. I was a nerd, little calculator watch, you know, for an hour kind of thing. And so 2 a.m., I wake up, I'm like, you know, where am I? Oh, you know, but I felt refreshed. So, um, so I pull back on the highway, head home, and I'm driving for about an hour. Now it's 3 a.m. And suddenly I'm like, this is starting to look familiar. Massachusetts Turnpike. No! This is a true story. Sec- no, you know, I can't believe this. Like, I cannot believe, I drove north again. I could not believe it. This is like 4 a.m. now, and I'm driving past Colleen's exit. I'm like, I just pull off and ding dong, I'm back. You know, it's kind of like, but how would I explain that, right? So I fly back down, 4 a.m., and now it's, you know, the dashboard light goes on, bing, you're out of gas. And I'm back at the gas station where I just took the nap, you know, so I pull in, but it's closed, and I'm like, I can't believe it's now. It's closed, and I'm like, I'm tired again, and so I just put my head on the wheel, and and I fall asleep, right? And, And about an hour later this tap on the window. And it's this guy with like a beard and a trucker cap. And he's like, you need some help? It was like Duck Dynasty. I was like, who are you? You know, I thought he was going to carjack me. And he goes, no, no, he's the gas station attendant who was coming to open the gas station because it's 5.30. The sun is up. I'm like, oh my gosh. Fill the car with gas, drive home, bottom line, walk in the house. My mother is hysterical. Not like, ha, ha, ha. She's like, are you okay? I thought you were in the hospital, you know, in jail, whatever. And um, thank God you're alive. They've been waiting up all night. So get this. I left Colleen's house at 11 a.m. and arrived home at 6.30 the next morning. And Colleen was like, what happened? Your parents called at 4 and said, you never made it home. This, 
this is when we, understand, we realize I have MDD, major directional deficit. All right, this is a, don't judge me. This is a disability, people. This is serious, all right? It's sad because I, I, real, I get it. I, I know the man is expected to be the leader in the relationship. He's the man with the plan. He's going to be the guy, and I'm going to follow him, all that kind of stuff. But the reality was I consistently get lost or I'm late to stuff. And for Colleen and I, it was our first major flashpoint in our relationship because she's just, just like, Tim is perpetually late, and a lot of times he just gets lost. And it became this flashpoint between expectations and reality. It caused all sorts of stress. Part of her family was living in Connecticut at the time. And so she's like, okay, you know, Tim, we're having this picnic. Can you make sure you're there and everything? I was like, I will absolutely be there. Okay, I'm counting on you. And she'd be at this thing, and she'd be like, you know, oh, I, you know, I hope he's going to show up. I hope he doesn't go to Boston, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I'd show up, and there'd be a little tension. And, and I think on some level, it made my wife very insecure because she was always like, can I count on this guy? Her father was not always reliable growing up. And, and now here's another man who, you know, she can't count on. He's going to let her down. Now watch this carefully. Watch. Because you are about to see what Paul's getting at here in verse 7. He says, whenever there's a gap between expectations and reality in our relationship. What does true love do to fill in the gap? It always what? Protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. How's this apply, you ask? Let me show you. I'm going to show you a verse from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified is a translation of the Bible that takes the text here and it amplifies or expands what it meant in the original language. Watch this. I printed it in your notes. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 the amplified version, here's what it says. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to, say it together, believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. What's the big idea that Paul's getting at? That all people who stay in love, not just fall in love, but stay in love, do something intentional in their relationship every single time. When confronted with their partner's shortcomings, weaknesses, and deficits, they, insi- they consistently choose B, to believe the best every single time. They choose B over A. Instead of criticizing or condemning, what's wrong with you? Or ascribing the worst motives. Don't you care about me? I've been here with the kids. You're just out having fun. They instead become incredibly generous in their response. And in fact, look for a generous explanation that covers their partner's shortcomings. That's what Colleen has done for me over the last 15 years. Um, she has chosen to believe the best about my directional deficit. There was uh, one night that this kind of came together um, for us, and um, we were scheduled to meet friends for dinner. I was coming from a meeting down south, and Colleen was like, hey, tonight, please, just be at home on time. I had good intentions Meeting goes long, and I get on the parkway. I was supposed to be on the turnpike. Aren't they the same thing? Uh, you know, all this. You know, I, yeah, I had, this, I had a cell phone, all that. Siri, I don't trust the woman, all right? I don't like, yeah, I don't trust her. But I know enough now to call when I'm late. So I give her, you know, call her, and I'm like, and, and it's really interesting because she was like, all right, just be careful. You get here when you'll get here. And dinner was at 7, so I was supposed to get home at 6, shower, all that kind of stuff, and I get home at 6.50, And at that moment, pulling in the driveway, honestly, I was expecting the worst. Because Colleen had every reason in the world to be like, here we go again, right? 
Nice time, nice, try, try, you know, look at your watch once in a while. You know, here we are, you're putting me in this position. You're always screwing me in, in, in. But instead, my wife actually wasn't there. I walked in the house, there's, there's no one there. And I walk up to our bedroom, and there in the bedroom, on the, on, the, uh, on the bed are my clothes, my suit laid out. My shoes, my socks, they're unrolling, you know, some belt and all this kind of stuff and everything. And I'm like, oh, oh, you know, okay. And then I hear Colleen walking up, and she's humming. And not like, mm. She's like, you know... She's humming, and she walks in. She goes, hey. She goes, I'm so sorry. She goes, I know you left, like, super early for that meeting and everything, and then you had to, like, rush home and all that. Here, I, I made you coffee. He goes, she goes, Here, you know, here's a, here's a latte. I made coffee for you. I put your clothes out. Don't even bother showering. Nobody cares. I love you. Smelly, you know, just, just put, you know, put the clothes on. And the best thing is she goes, she goes, I'll be honest. She goes, I don't really want to go either, but here, listen, we'll go, and when you want to, just nudge me. We'll leave early because I know you're exhausted. Can I tell you, that was one of the kindest things she's ever done for me. And what was amazing about the effect that it had on me is that I actually chug the coffee, I get dressed, and I'm like, no, we're going to this thing. I run out to the car. She's actually sitting in the driver's side, and she's like, give me the keys, I'll drive. You know, it's kind of this it's kind of funny moment, but, but that's what she did. She chose, listen, when confronted for the hundredth time with the gap between expectations she had when the reality of who I am, she chose to cover my sins with her love. And that's what Christ-centered love does. It sees the gap in a relationship between the expectations and the reality, the ideal and our brokenness, and says, you know what? I'm going I'm to pay for that. I'm going to absorb that into myself. And my love is going to cover up this gap because I want this relationship to go on. Now listen, time out. I realize right now I share that story, and some of you are sort of judging me because you're sitting there, and you're like, well, that's real cute, you know, Tim. You and Colleen, I'm just sick of hearing about you guys anyway. Um, <laughs> I get it, I get it. And, and you're like, let me, let me tell you something. Can I come up here and tell you about my spouse, okay? Because I have a sad story, okay? And you can take your little signs and put them away and then hear a real sermon, all right? Because I got a sad story, all right? I get that, <laughs> Here's the deal. In my business as a pastor, I hear a lot of sad stories. I mean, real heartache stories. I'm not trying to minimize yours at all, but just, just listen to me. Just this week, I was sitting with a couple who's going through major, you know, painful heartache in their marriage. And I guarantee it trumps yours. That's just the reality of ministry. What I'm asking you to do right now is to just hold on to that story just for a minute, okay? And all your reasons why this is simplistic and, you know, it doesn't really apply to us and just track with me, and then after, you can tell me what to do with my little signs, okay? Listen, when you think about your relationship, your marriage, your partner, I want you to ask this question. Which do you naturally choose when you hit this gap? Do you typically choose A, you assume the worst, or do you naturally choose B, to believe the best? Which one, if you're honest? Don't call it out, don't point, (laughs) People who stay in long-term relationships and ultimately enjoy successful marriage, they consistently choose B over A. And it's not because they have their heads buried in the sand or it's like, oh, just think happy thoughts, but because they understand the, the secret of 1 Corinthians 13. What does it mean to believe the best? Paul says, here's what it means. It means you always protect the relationship. You always trust your partner. You always hope for the best explanation possible. And even when it's not there, you step over it and you persevere and you move on. Love always, always, always chooses B. That's what protect means. It means you are going to protect the integrity of this. You don't jump all over the negatives 
and keep score, but you are actively looking for some way to keep love alive. Love always trusts. It assumes positive motives. It doesn't assume like, oh, there they go again, and they're doing this to stick it to me, you know? It hopes for the best explanation for the gap. Hope is actually aspirational. It's like, this may not be reality, but I am hoping for something really positive. I hope he's just stuck at work. I hope he just took a wrong turn to Boston, you know? I, you know, I know what she said to me, and I know how it felt, but I'm hoping she didn't mean it that way. See, every single time you go negative, you choose A, you assume the worst, you automatically contribute to the demise of your relationship. And that's not just biblical. Science bears this out. Research bears it out. Remember I told you about Dr. John Gottman? He is the world's foremost marriage expert. He's a researcher who can watch a couple for five minutes and predict with 90% accuracy whether they'll divorce or stay together. And he, ba- he said it's not, it's not a feeling. He says it's based on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? If, I, if he detects these habits, they tank any relationship. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And in other words, if you consistently choose A about your partner, it will result in this downward spiral. In other words, it starts with criticism. You're never on time. It goes to contempt. You know what? What is wrong with you anyway? You know, you you got a problem? It's about you, and I don't don't approve of your personality or character. And then what happens is he responds with defensiveness. Okay. Sorry, little Miss Perfect, you know? You've never been late. How about Tuesday when you forgot to pick up the kids, you know? I feel a real nice job, Mom. And he starts walking away. He starts stonewalling. He starts walking away. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, go ahead and walk away, you know? You never stick around. And down and down it goes. It creates, look, this downward spiral of suspicion and hostility. And given enough repeated cycles on that, the relationship is guaranteed to tank. And here's the truth. There are some couples who get caught in this spiral for years. For years you've been caught in this. Because you make a habit, you've gotten used to choosing A, assuming the worst, and you start perfecting it. you some, I've seen couples actually predict it. Like, we'll be with him and be like, you know what? My, he's supposed to show up. I guarantee you he's going to be late. You just wait and see. And he pulls in and you're like, mm-hmm. what I tell you? what I tell you? He's late. You actually start celebrating the gap because you're right. All of a sudden, you get to be right. You see, I expected this. I predicted this. And this is what happened. And that's the reality. And I nailed you. And you owe me. And, then, and, then, and, then, and you win the argument, but you will lose your spouse. You will lose your partner. Because they will come to dread engaging with you. Gottman says repeated criticism and correction actually feeds this downward spiral of negative behavior because they don't want to call you when they're going to be late. With good reason. They know you're going to choose A already. So whenever you assume the worst and you ascribe malignant motives to your partner to fill this gap, this spiral of hostility and suspicion gets going and the relationship ultimately falls apart. Now watch. Here's the good news. The reverse is true. That's what Paul's teaching. There is actually such a thing as an upward spiral of goodwill and love. And that's what happens when partners consistently choose B, to believe the best, to fill in that gap. When they give their spouse the benefit of the doubt, you know what? She didn't come and you know what? Uh, the, the dinner isn't made and everything. And it's the third time this week, didn't make dinner. But I know how hard it has actually been with the kids. This is, you know what? He went over budget, and I thought we talked about this, and I thought we were on the same page, but we're not on the same page. But the reality is he's under a lot of pressure at work, and I know there's going to be a reason for it. I'm going to choose 
to believe the best. I know she's not doing this to spite me. I know he's not doing it just to, you know, stick, stick a fork in our family. What happens when you believe the best is that you put chips in the trust bank. We all have make a deposit in a relational bank account because you're intentionally, by believing the best, you're saying, you know what? I trust you. I love you. I believe the best about you. And you know what? This thing, our relationship, is way more important than that little issue over here. So I'm going to protect this, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe your intentions are good, and I'm going to hope that there is a good explanation for this gap. Andy Stanley, who I want to give credit to um, for for this insight, he puts it this way. He said, when you're faced with that gap, think of the most generous explanation you can for your spouse's behavior, and then believe it. Just believe it. Because your love will cover those sins, and eventually it will transform your relationship, just as Christ's love for us transforms our relationship with God. Now listen, I need to make a qualifier here, because I realize for some of you, this actually doesn't hold true. Because you may be in a relationship that has abuse or addiction in it. Do you know that? Believing the best, listen, this is important. Believing the best assumes that there are two relatively stable, good-willed people trying to make the relationship work. This is not about believing the best or making excuses if there's verbal abuse. Well, you know, he just has anger. He just blows up from time to time. There's physical abuse. You know, he doesn't lash out often, but I've got to be careful not to make him angry. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. If there is abuse in your relationship, you need to get out today. This is not about excusing sinful behavior or destructive patterns. The same goes for addiction, okay? Addicts are great blame shifters. Well, she makes me drink. You know, she doesn't meet my needs. That's why I had to go do that. In cases of abuse or addiction, believing the best goes out the window. If you're in a relationship where there's abuse, you need to get out. If there's addiction, you need to get help. You hear me on this? The Bible doesn't whitewash it. Look at verse 6. Very realistic. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with what? Say it. The truth. So the idea of believing the best assumes that there are two relatively healthy, good-willed, spirit-filled people who are sincerely trying to make this relationship work. And when that's the case, believing the best can be an incredible gift to your partner. That's, that's what Colleen has done for me over the years. Um, I've actually heard her tell friends when we go out. She actually did it last night. She'll say, you know what? Um, I'll drive. Let, let, let me drive. Tim, you can tell stories. He's a great uh, storyteller. Um, and she said to her, she said, you know why? She goes, because he's a lot of times he's 20,000 leagues under the sea when he drives. He's thinking of sermons and all that kind of stuff. And that's the truth. I, I'm thinking about that stuff. And she says, so I'll drive. Those of you who are married, try it out this week. When you're faced with this gap, think of the most generous explanation that you can give and then believe it so that it creates this upward spiral of goodwill and love. You can try saying it out loud. Think about your partner right now. How would, you, how could you, how would that change? She's not impatient. She's just intense at times. <laughs> you know what? He's not insensitive. He's not an insensitive jerk. He's just hyper-focused at moments. The big idea of 1 Corinthians 13 is that spouses of successful marriages intentionally choose B every single time. They spotlight their partner's strengths, and their love covers over their deficits. They choose B over A every single time. That's what Paul's saying. He says love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what that means is, even if that generous explanation isn't true, they step over it, they forgive, and they move on very quickly. 
It is a habit of the heart. It is a posture of goodwill, of grace, that overcomes the impact of human weaknesses and relational gaps. So here's a challenge. Here's how I want to end. I want to give you a challenge first for the couples, then the singles. Follow. This week, guaranteed, I have a word from God. You are going to experience a gap somewhere in your relationship. I can see it now. I feel it. It's going to happen. They're my gift of prophecy. You're going to experience a gap. It may be this afternoon for some of you. You may be like, that's me right now, and you're nudging him. Just just follow with me. When you are faced with that gap this week, over the next few days, and you have that choice, and you consistently, naturally choose A, here's what I want you to do. This week, would you try B, see how it goes, and do it at least three times? Choose to believe the best at least three times and see what happens. Guys, this could, the simple act could literally change the trajectory of your relationship. And instead of being in this downward spiral, you actually get lifted up and head out on the road to recovery. Try it at home. Try it at work. Because here's the deal, single folks. This principle in 1 Corinthians is so profound that it works for other relationships too. It doesn't have to be romantic. Watch this. This brings peace to all relationships. Try this at work on Monday when a coworker steps on your toes this week, when your boss kind of knuckles down or someone makes your job difficult. I saw this last week. It was beautiful in this church in action. At Liquid, we teach our staff to always choose trust over suspicion. That's kind of how we talk about this. Because in a church like ours, we move fast, we make mistakes, we step on each other's toes all the time. But what we do is we tell our staff consistently, always choose B over A. Trust the intentions of your teammates that they're not trying to, you know, screw you or make your life harder or make your ministry difficult. This happened last week in this church. Last week after our services ended, um, we had long lines of people who wanted Rebecca Lyons' book. Great. Wasn't she great? She's fantastic, right? People wanted, wanted the book. And so all the, a lot of adults are lined up to get this book while a lot of your kids were still down going off the wall in Liquid Kids, which is totally fine. That's great. But it causes a problem for our volunteers. So our Liquid Kids volunteers are like, okay, they're all sugared up. We're the parents, you know, and we're in line, and that's great and everything, but there was this big smash-up, right? So um, there's this big cluster of folks, and, and the volunteers, they have to prepare the room and reset it, and it's eating into their huddle time. So when that unexpected thing happened, I ran downstairs because our volunteers at Liquid Kids are the best volunteers in the state. Can we hear it for our volunteers? They're incredible. And I was like, I want to thank them, and then I wanted to apologize, Okay. And I went up to one of the leaders. I didn't see, like, you know, the, the director there. And there's a bit of chaos. So I just saw the first leader I saw. She was a like, college-age girl. And I just came up to her. I just go, I'm so sorry. I go, we didn't anticipate this. And now we messed up your whole morning and everything. And she's a young volunteer. And let me tell you something. She could have easily chose A. She had every right, right? Here's Pastor Tim. Well, maybe, Pastor Tim, if you had planned the service a little bit better, <laughs> maybe if the sermon was shorter, hmm, who writes that? Hmm. Yeah? This wouldn't have happened, all right? How about this doesn't happen next week? But you know what? She didn't do that. You know what she said? It was actually amazing. She said, you know what, Pastor Tim, it's okay. She goes, because this doesn't always happen. I get it. She goes, but I like to think while we're feeding the kids down here, their parents are getting fed upstairs and that we're all part of the same family and we're working together. So don't worry about it. We'll make it work. Beyond just the maturity of that response, can I tell you how refreshing to my soul that was as a leader? That she chose to believe the best and it increased the trust, it increased the love and you can change the whole dynamic in your office, in your school, 
in your home, your relationship, if you consistently choose trust over suspicion. To believe the best, choose B over A every single time. Paul says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. That's love in action, friends. And it's a beautiful thing, amen? Especially in a church that worships Jesus. Here's how I want to end our service today. It's by receiving communion. We're going to do this at all of our campuses. And the reason we're doing that is because it's the most fitting possible thing. The reason you're in a church is because you can't do this naturally. You can't fix your relationships with each other. You need Jesus Christ. The gospel is about our relationship with God. You've got to fix that first. And here's the problem. By nature, God expects us to live perfect lives, to always say the right thing, do the right thing, love people perfectly, love him perfectly. How you doing with that? The reality of our sin is that we fall short every single time, and that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a gap. So the gospel starts this way. Bad news. Assume the worst about yourself. You're more sinful and broken than you ever imagined, but now believe the best about God. Out of love, he sent Jesus Christ to fill this gap. On the cross, out of love, he dies. He sheds his blood in your place. And when his blood, when he enters your life, he covers your sin. And you can now have a relationship with God that's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel is. It's assuming the worst about ourselves, but believing the best about God, about grace. If you don't have a relationship with God, this is just, this ain't going to work. You have to draw on the love that you have first received from Christ in order to pour it out on another human being. So what I want to do right now is we come to communion. We're going to receive the wafer that represents the body of Christ broken for you. You're going to dip it in the cup, which represents the blood of Christ that cleanses your sin. If you don't have a relationship with God, you need to. You're not going to fix anything without his power flowing through you. And so this is a perfect day to become a Christian, to say, you know what? I'm going to confess my sins because I've made some mistakes, but I'm going to come in confidence because I believe the best that Christ gave his life for mine. That's what it means to be a Christian, to have a relationship with God. So let's take a few moments, all our campuses, just for silent prayer. You talk with God. Maybe there's somebody here today you need to forgive or apologize to. You're sitting next to them. You know there's a gap in your relationship. Confess that to the Lord. Bible says that before you come to the altar, go be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come give your gift to God. So let's take a moment for silent prayer all of our campuses, and then your campus pastor will give instructions to receive communion. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.